Hello campers, welcome to another episode of Haunted Picture Palace. This week we're going to be talking about Candyman, 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 and you can jog on. I'm not saying it another time. Yeah, we're not in a mirror, I suppose it's all right. In a mirror, that's true. From 1992, it's a film directed by Bernard Rose, who is an English-Jewish gentleman. Yes, bizarrely. Very strangely, and based on a book called The Forbidden, Yes, a short story, I think. A short um, story by Clyde Barker, which is interesting. I have been thinking a lot alongside this of Wicker Man, because we've recently had Beltane slash Mayday. Indeed. And there is a theme, because it turns out, Nicolas Cage, you cannot pour bees you can't pour bees. Uh, there's a lot of bees in this film. Bees and a big fire. Spoilers. And a big fire. Oh, it's all coming together. Absolutely. I will say we'll do a content warning nice and early and say there's animal harm and ambiguous baby harm Yeah. implied. Uh, no actual harm was done to any of the above, but it is quite gruesome. There's yeah. some gory moments. It's just a movie, but it is there's a movie a about a man blood. with a hook for a hand who disembowels people. So, you know. Yeah, sometimes you do. <laughs> Sometimes he takes their pee-pee, so, exactly. you know. Yeah, yeah, it's an 18, deservedly so. It's uh, it's, it's definitely a... meant to be an 18, yes, 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 absolutely. I, I weirdly agree with that. Yeah, it's creepy. It's a, it's an adult film, by which I don't mean pornographic, which I mean it's a, it's a, it's a serious and weighty and quite tense. I wonder if that's why it's not made it very big. Maybe you've hit it on the head. I mean, I, obviously it has a huge cult following now, but I don't feel like it's up there with like Scream, which is a little bit later. I don't feel like it's got the kind of fan base of something like Alien or or the big horror, you know, like The Shining, like all of this stuff. Yeah. But it is, in my opinion, a work of art. It's a really nice bit of horror film. But I wonder if part of the reason it doesn't sit anywhere is because it doesn't sit anywhere it's not quite the teenage horror that was becoming popular ish at the time it's not quite the kind of gritty sensible person yeah absolutely and well the film sort of does a thing halfway through where it changes what type of film it is almost we will come on to that later so but it is i think when i was watching it i was surprised and i was put in mind of Things like, you mentioned a couple, things like Alien, things yeah. like The Exorcist, where it's like things that are recognised as like proper serious films, you yeah. know, like auteur pieces and stuff. But it's also got a lot of jump scares yeah. and extreme blood and gore and, you know, all of the, the slasher movie tropes Yes, as well. Uh, so it sort of it's, seems to have fallen between the stools a little bit. Yes. But... Here's an interesting thing. So when you say it changes film halfway through, I think it changes film before that. So I think it changes three times. And I would actually wager to say a a close fourth if we really went for it. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it really does evolve as the story unfolds. So we open again on traffic like we did in Tamlin. Oh, Um, yes. And I imagine, again, it's that kind of, we're in the modern world, we're in the modern world, and then you are taken into fantasy. It's a really similar trope that maybe I've just never noticed because I've not been looking for it. But I wonder if it's quite a thing that happens when you're working with mythology and urban legend. It's to show you're in the urban bit, um, yes. which is nice. 
Yeah, it works. Also, that you've got the, the the long tracking shot of the highway because we're in the yep. states that seems to become sort of progressively more complicated as we get towards the city. So you have these nice, strong, linear roadways that then get entangled with yes. more roadways, overpasses, flyovers, buildings, etc. So it becomes more complex as you go through. Are we just being bees? Yeah, I guess. Worker bees. Worker bees. Mm. It seems a bit tenuous. A lot. Of, I don't know, a lot of the imagery is not exactly subtle in this film. But it no. would be a nice touch. <laughs> Nothing gets me wetter than a gruelling stump hook mirror story. Do you know that? I didn't know that. Hmm. That's disgusting, isn't it? Yes. Well done. Thanks. But here it is. This girl in essentially, a, I won't say that actually, that's quite demeaning, but in a training bra, mm-hmm. wriggles around on a man that's far too old to touch her. He is having sex with a school child, essentially, and he looks like the kind of blokes that were having sex with school children around me when I was a teen. Yep. But it's told in exactly the same, like like The Ring. Yeah, this it is. It's being told really, really heavily parallels The Ring, actually, the... Ringuas particularly, where mm. we are having these interviews with students about folklore and about urban legend. She, the lead character Helen, is a reporter again. Well, she's a journalist. Ge- oh, she's student. a she's a researcher. She's doing interviews. Yeah, but, uh, but she works at the university. I don't think she's a she's not a, a newspaper reporter. Oh, I thought she was a journalism student for some reason. But okay, oh, she might be, that. but she's not a. No, that's I, not. I'm not sure exactly what she's studying, but she is she's working on her thesis rather than yes, you're right. Rather than working as a as a reporter, however, her techniques are very much those of a journalist, sort of tracking down a story. Yes, but I, I, there's interesting here that this setup here that we have is basically the first half an hour of a different film, yeah. or, or could be. It's a, it's a way that they could have gone about making this film. Yeah, and it's a bit that makes it into a teen film that it just immediately drops. It drops it as soon as we stop dealing with teenagers specifically. And, you know, my disgusting comment about nothing gets me hotter than this stuff is because this girl starts a story about a gruelling stump murder and yeah. then has a wriggle around, you know, and is just really excited by it. And then, you know, obviously... One thing leads to another, and next thing you know, you're being hooked through the, the ceiling. Yes, and yes. Bleeding onto the man of your dreams. Mm-hmm. Who is having a nightmare, metaphorically. Oh, you confused me for a Sorry. second. When we meet Helen proper, we are interviewing children, if you like. They are teens, but you know, and that mm-hmm. she's studying modern oral folklore. It's played by Helen. Is played by Virginia Masden. Uh, who looks like a kind of baby fake Gillian Anderson. She's incredibly pretty. Obviously, both people are. Gillian Anderson and Virginia Madsen, like, next level beautiful, massive eyes. That amazing kind of 80s to 90s crossover hair that is just dreamy. Yeah. It's all volume and absolutely no shape. Yeah, it's just just waves, isn't it? Just waves. Yeah, love it. Our victim in -hmm. the bra, when talking about the... Legend, you know, the story of the Candyman. So yep. it says, want to try it? Because I've written down like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> of course I don't want to try that. Because I remember when I was... So this came out in 1992. Yeah. So I uh, was... Yeah. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's right. I was six at the time. So we was not watching films. But I, I remember when I was at school, mm. the story of Candyman, of this idea, which wow. is... That you stand when you stand in front of a mirror yeah. five times and say his name, 
who will appear mm-hmm. and gut you with his hook, was exactly what it purports to be in this film. It was a bit of kind of playground yeah. lore that people had seen. It was sort of divorced from the film. Yeah. There was none of the other stuff that we're going to talk about, but it was a story that scared children, Yeah, you know, based on a film that had, had gone around. I remember this. Well, so do I. I remember it from school and I'm younger than you. And uh, it was definitely there. I knew of it way before I saw it. I actually thought it was a much older film. So when we came to study it, I thought it came from like 1982, 83. Uh-huh. Just because it had been around that whole time. But also... You know, there are variations of it. The Bloody Mary one, I think, yeah. is popular. I only and I think Bloody Mary older. is. I think Bloody Mary predates yeah, this. Yeah. I think Candyman owes a debt to the Bloody yeah. Mary idea. But, you know, I remember all of that stuff happening in the playground and things. But the even at sleepovers, daring each other to do Candyman in the mirror mm-hmm. was a thing. Yeah. And obviously I didn't see it. But then sadly for me, watching it this time, I watched it when I was 11 or 12 as my first viewing of it and I'm watching it going this shouldn't have been allowed this is not this for isn't for me was I okay but I remembered very little of it I just knew it was good so she's early 90s wife right um yeah. Helen she's a young wife and she's the young wife of a disgusting sleazebag that I hated as soon as he came on screen but that trope of the wife turning up catching the hubby in the act of like coming on to his young students and then admonishing him for it literally only works when your wife is not the hottest person in the room yeah it's really hard (laughs) to be like are you eyeing her up and they look like five years apart yeah (laughs) yeah you know it kind of works if your body's been like ravaged by aging and ch- and six kids and you know sure. all of that Doing stuff. all of but... his notes and all of that, all the typing up for his books. <laughs> so your posture's ruined. Oh, absolutely disgusting! Thank you for that. That was awful. <laughs> but yes, it only really works. But then I will say that ass. They picked a girl with a good bum because they had to film her bum going away, right? Yeah, and yeah. I was like fair enough, she does look fresh from the womb. But I think fresh um, from the womb. What? Oh, that's gross. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And actually, aesthetically, the orange peach 90s lip is (laughs) amazing. So she's got the kind of the relaxed perm or the relaxed wave after the perm craze. And then, yeah, the orange peach thing going on that's really sort of aggressively waitressy. Does that make sense? So like an older an older waitress in an American diner would be the kind of person that would wear that now. It would look great, but you wouldn't really see it many other places. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say like something like Stranger Things is probably what it Well, It's very 1992, isn't it? It's yes. very on trend for, for this yes. time. Uh, well, just from this scene as well, the import, one of the important things to sort of, to just to point up here mm-hmm. is that her professor husband is discussing on modern urban yes. folklore. Mm-hmm. And she tells him, she says, you know, you you know I'm writing about this yep. for my thesis. You said you wouldn't do this class, you know? And he's like, oh yeah, I know I said that, darling, but it's on the timetable. I got to do it. I just said that I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, a, it's a nice, I mean, I've written here that he looks, he's the prime candidate for a diss in Berlin, but um, <laughs> because he's saying like, there are no alligators in the series, this stuff isn't real. Yes. And you know, so uh, by the logic of horror films, but 
having this where he sort of casually committed to a thing and then just yeah step back from it is a nice little character well it's a poor little character moment for him in, t- in mor- morally but it's a yeah. nice little character moment for us to give us a snapshot of who he is where he's yeah, like, yeah also I- he clearly wants a piece of that young girl yes and no matter how much kind of gaslighting and joking and being a tit about it he does she's still doing the face of someone that has busted you yes you know because she's clever I really like her character. I enjoy Helen a lot. She's, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't do anything she does, <laughs> but she's good. Where are we? Yes, here's a detail I really liked. So the cleaner comes through to find Helen working on some of her stuff. Yeah, she's typing up the interview that we saw a bit of earlier. Yeah, where laughing the story to herself, from. yeah. I really liked, it's such a small detail, but I really liked that the cleaner lived on Southside and not in the projects. They didn't immediately mm-hmm. introduce a black character and go like, she's poor as sh-. You know, she's <laughs> yeah. poor as heck. But she does have a poor friend. You yeah. Know? Of course she does, because everybody's a cleaner and we're all working hard and all the rest of it. Yeah, and it, but it's also the way these stories go, right? Yeah. That, like, you don't know anybody that's died from the thing, the alligators no, in the cereal or whatever, but you've heard somebody has a story about somebody else that they heard about that this happened to. Yeah, totally. And she knows that people in the projects fear the Candyman... So bizarrely, as soon as um, we got to the particular scene where we were looking at mirrors in the walls and the cleaner comes in and starts speaking about a character called Ruthie Jean saying, what killed Ruthie Jean? It came through the mirror, right? And she's frightened. She's frightened to even talk about it. But I turned to Ben and paused the video and was like, oh, by the way, I listened to my favourite murder. And they covered the mystery, if you like, of Ruthie May McCoy, who was 52. She was known as Miss May. She lived in the Alba housing projects in Chicago. Uh, She'd lived on the 11th floor for years. But she was known as... She has a really horrifying backstory. And what I'd remembered was that she had made the 911 call saying that an intruder had thrown the cabinet down and that they were trying to get to her through the bathroom. And the dispatcher wasn't sure what she meant. So she, you know, the dispatcher got her a car saying there was a disturbance with a neighbour complaint. But they couldn't they couldn't get through, didn't get an answer, called her phone. No one answered and they carried on with their daily lives. Yeah. And the next evening, a friend of hers called 911 about McCoy and said, you know, she would often stop by her friend's apartment on her way in and out and hadn't shown up that day. The police didn't really do anything. And then eventually she was found dead in the bedroom from four gunshot wounds. And it was because the housing in the cheaper places at that time, lots of very big, cheap buildings, i.e. the projects, have and had and still have a medicine cabinet that you can detach from the wall. And the medicine cabinet is the only thing separating you and your neighbour so weirdly again on my favourite murder just about two episodes before the most recent one at the time of this recording they'd been talking about the TikTok series the girls that had just walked through, they'd wandered through their own medicine cabinet and found an entire house the other side because these things get bricked off or things change shape and all the rest of it but I was, it was fascinating I was chatting to Ben all about it saying why would you go through there (laughs) and then we're watching it unfold on Candyman but yes so the Ruthie May is Ruthie Jean 
basically. And yeah, vice versa. from what it's, you were saying, the uh, yeah, the particulars of the case are the same, but yeah. the names have been changed to protect the innocent, as it used to go. On, yeah, nearly. On I mean, it is still Ruthie. You know, I'm but, surprised at that. But yeah, uh, but the the story is fundamentally true, if that yes, makes sense. That exactly. she was murdered by assailants who came in through the came bathroom through the mirror. Walls. Yeah, yeah, came through the walls, and yeah. and you hear. The cleaner talk about this, you yeah. know, and there's real there's real fear, and yeah. like everybody knows about the Candyman. He can come through the walls. He'll get you. I just think it's interesting as well that this was written. You know that stuff happened. I think eighty three with right. Ruthie Jean. Yep. Sorry, with Ruthie May, eighty seven. Yeah. So really, like, this is only ninety two. Yeah. So it still would have been something that everybody remember being in the papers as of this mystery of like what killed her who killed her how did they get in and all that while they were figuring it out and then this absolute horror that you could just get into each other's houses through the through the medicine cabinet yeah. would still be fresh yeah so i know it has... and it's real it's real horror film material isn't yeah. it yeah and this is one of the things that was added for the film because the short story is set in liverpool yes in england and yes. one of the things that the adaptation did was transpose it across the Atlantic and add in a lot of local touches, if you'd like. Mm-hmm. So, because they were in Chicago, as was uh, Ruthie May. Yeah. Yeah. And we go, because this is where we go back to Helen's apartment, isn't it? I think so, with some massively queer coded students here. Helen and her best friend. Yeah. Uh, Bernadette. Bernadette. Oof, the, the sexual tension is real. Let's just drink some wine and make out, I've written. <laughs> and then we get this ridiculous moment where, well, we get the nice bit where we're looking in the cabinet, right? Yeah. And Helen's saying, look, they did it like this, and then says the candy man's name five times in the mirror. Yeah. With, well, Because they, they, they get to four. Yeah. And, and, you know, anyone can get to four, right? Because this is the story is it's five times when they come. Yeah. And Bernadette stops at four because she's no fool. Nope. Exactly, but then uh, Helen's got such an engaging face. It really is like she's got the kind of face that would make you just do stuff. I think, <laughs> you know. Yeah. If she's going to be like, "Oh, you're such a chicken," you'd be like, "Fine." Yeah. Well, she's got her teeth into something here. Right? Yes. Because uh, she's looked up. She's done a bit of digging. At, she, she done it at this point. She must have done a bit of yeah. digging by now. Yes, because her house, the house that she was in, mm-hmm. was built as a housing project. But then they realised that it was in the wrong part of town, so they upscaled it to, they a, did. to they a, charged her through quote, the nose. Unquote, proper house and charged her through the nose and think she could pay it it's important to remember that she's property she's got money she's secure yeah but some of the aspects of the building are still the same so she's got a, a mirror that comes off the wall yeah yeah and then trevor her idiot husband or whatever he is turns up late at night and semi-attacks her while she's on edge a little bit yeah. in bed and I've just put, she's gay, buddy. <laughs> and then, you know, he says, well, I'm just being playful. And I'm like, how is that playful? That's not playful. Well, That's... he doesn't know that she's just said Candyman in the mirror five times. I swear to God, if you... I'm not going to do if that. If you tried that with me, you'd have a black eye. I know, I know. Like, I'm I just, I, I keep a statue by the bed that's heavier than me. <laughs> you'd, you'd be harmed. But basically, at this point, Helen is has a thesis. Well, I don't mean in the academic sense. Helen has an idea, yes, uh, which is that a violent criminal broke in through the medicine cabinet of a poorly built flat. Yeah, and it's and, become an urban legend. Yes, but that there is an explanation for it, mm-hmm. and that explanation is violent criminals. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. So I just wanted to comment briefly on um, a couple of outfit choices. So her and Bernadette are like, shall we just, well, she's like to Bernadette, shall we just go to the projects and do some personal, interpersonal digging? Yeah. Bernadette's like, do you want to get shot? We look like cops. <laughs> um, and, you know. She's right. <laughs> and Bernadette also is important here to point out is a woman of colour. She is, yes. I was just going to say that. Yes, absolutely. And in the effort to look like, I don't know, to dress up well. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there for them. I don't know what they're going for. Well, she, with these she told Bernadette to dress low key, basically, yes. like to, to do Sunday clothes. And um, Helen turns up in a Calvin Klein pu- pure wool shoulder padded number it's a gorgeous long coat weirdly i only know that because i've got one she's got my <laughs> coat but new right and a beautiful thing and you know it's extreme the shoulder pads are like four times the width of her head mm-hmm. either side of it's incredible she looks like is it david byrne yes the, in the yeah. in stop making sense with the big suit yeah and then there's a rottweiler doing his job oh, you know because yeah, they go down to cabrini Cabrini Green, and they're really there, aren't they? Yeah, they're which really I say is I say is it um, it's been knocked down now, mm-hmm. but I think it was demolition was completed about ten years ago as a recording, sort of around twenty ten, twenty twelve, yeah. whatever. So it hung around for a long time after this film, and it really looks on its last legs here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in order to recreate the look of a very rundown housing project, yeah. They took cameras down to a very run-down housing project. And then, sort of essentially gangsters, or certainly the people that ran the place, the dealers and all the rest of it, the the youth, I don't know, gangsters, roughly The gangs, yeah. The gangs. They wouldn't allow it unless they were involved. So they wouldn't allow filming unless they were mm-hmm. involved. So there are lots of scenes where extras are played by actual residents of Cabrini Green of the time and looking very intimidating i also really enjoy that like they had the crew were given essentially free reign while they were filming except on the last day where a sniper put four bullet holes in the one of the filming vans and uh, they were like i think it's time to leave (laughs) heavy work oh yes when they're going up the stairs helen says oh they they won't follow they think we're cops it's like it's not good that they think you're cops lady (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, they don't like the cops. I mean, with good reason. I'm not getting into that. You know, I'm not meaning to... <laughs> I'm not suggesting that the cops are unambiguously a force for good. But she thinks that, you know, to her, yeah. there's no problem with being mistaken for a cop because, of course, she doesn't have the experience of living in these places. She just sort of charges in. Exactly. And uh, Bernadette, her pal, knows what's up and says that the gangs hold, hold this whole neighbourhood hostage. And my note here is like, oh, the real horror... Is poverty, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a... Because, again, as you say, this changes a few times. But at this point, I'm thinking, well, this is... Sort of a... Well, weirdly, it's like a journalistic procedural. Yeah. It's got procedural drama stuff happening in it. Yeah. And it's it's a side of... And we'll get to that in a minute, but it's... In my notes, I say it's a side of the projects that we're not shown until bloody years later in The Wire. You know, yeah. like where it's it's actually humans living lives and then there happen to be gangs. Or like that the gangs have complex lives amongst themselves rather than just that's a scary place, don't go there. We're, yeah. we're allowed in to an intimate bit in a minute. Yes. That is like a pocket of it. Proper. Yeah. yeah, The Wire is a really good note for that. Really strong vibes. 
Yeah. I really enjoy the trope of camera flashes in horror. Um, we saw it briefly in Ginger Snaps, but like that kind of seeing something just for the flash of a camera is horrifying. Yeah. 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 Yes, because she's armed with this thesis and this idea about Candyman. She wants to go to Ruthie Jean's old flat. Mm-hmm. And she does. And she takes her little point and shoot click flash camera mm-hmm. and is documenting all of the all of the graffiti as she goes up. She just walks, marches straight in. And my note on this is she's got no self-preservation instinct. Well, you also said it's, it's white privilege. Yeah, but it was because, because she's white and rich. Mm. So she, it, it really does read that she just doesn't really have a conception of the sort of danger that she's mm-hmm. running into because she's never, never had to encounter it. She's just focused on her idea yep. and her work. And documenting this, you know, and getting this down. Yeah. Which is, like, there are admirable aspects to it, sure. Mm-hmm. But which is not... It doesn't really play out and isn't really presented in a positive light, I think. No, highlighted by Bernadette being like, that dumb white bitch exactly. in We have that really gorgeous shot of Helen walking through the mouth of... Candyman um, yeah. that is spray painted on the wall. They use it a few times, but it's gorgeous. And then eventually, once she gets out of all the holes and things, and they beggar off, mm-hmm. we're met with fake Stephen Fry slash Ronald Hutton. Oh yes, um, and he is a lot. I've written in block caps. <laughs> yes, um, my notes. What a horrible man. <laughs> but yes, there's a hell of a lot of uh, acrylic turtleneck action. And um, he calls it Candyman Country, which I really like. There's yeah, because we're the... back in like a, a very white dinner party. I've put this is the this is somewhere super white. Yes, yeah, and embarrassing, really, frankly. But we get the story of Candyman delivered to us by this absolute stain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he may be an absolute stain, but he's probably a decent scholar. You know, who would <laughs> I have guess done... <laughs> maybe he would have done the work. But the thing is, we, we're presented with the backstory here. Mm. Sort of, we're still quite early on in the film. Yeah. you know, but. Like, through the rest of the film, we then come to sort of understand mm-hmm. what it means, almost, right? And we sort of have to experience some of it and really look at the 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 meat, if you'd like, of the bones that he's laying out here. Does that make sense? I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, Candyman is the son of a slave, went to the best schools and was a great artist. He had sex with the wrong girl. Um, the dad paid local hooligans to saw off his hand with a rusty blade and then uh, beset him with hungry bees. Yeah. I mean, they did imply that bees eat honey, and I... I don't know if it was honey that was spread on him particularly, which is some kind of syrup that would attract... Like, sugar syrup would attract them, I think. All right. Uh, he also says... Over his naked body. No one came to his aid, is a line. Yes. Of um, a sort of turtlenecked professor. Yes, which, and he which... was naked and then burned. Yeah. And his ashes were scattered at the site of the project. Yes, well, Cabrini Green particularly. Mm-hmm. So there's the idea that he sort of haunts mm. that project, haunts that those buildings. Uh, but no one came to his aid is the thing that echoes what happened to Ruthie Jean, of course. When we talk about that when we're interviewing the neighbour. Yes. No one helped her. No one helped her, which is also no one helped the Candyman, as yeah. as he became, so you know the real horror here is 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 racism, right? This is like a century later, and 
black pain is still being ignored, right? And, and yeah. people are still standing by while this happens. We're drawing lines through through the past mm -hmm. into the present day. And yeah, we, because we've just been to Cabrini Green and we've just seen the, the, the poverty and the, and the degradation there and the fact that our, our white heroine just sort of charges in so oblivious. Yeah. To me, we're drawing these parallels and saying that, like, you know, this is this is still a racist country, I guess. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is our first horror film that doesn't contain any bad parenting. We actually have explicitly yeah. good parenting. The only kind of bad use of a child is to manipulate the maternal instincts of a woman. And that's still not bad parenting. And she still protects the child in the end. Spoilers. Sure. The mother is brilliant. She's She defends her baby when she can and when she can't. It's not really her fault because it's a supernatural being that's yeah. done away with it. Yeah, it's... I mean, again, we never actually meet the little kids' parents that we're going to meet in a minute. No, so this is my note when you said, talked about bad parenting. I mean, getting Jake's help here feels quite unethical. <laughs> mm. Not parenting, though. But it's not parenting. You know, you're right. Um, she's not his... his parents and she's not in loco parentis in any way in fact that's what i've put it's just the manipulation of someone else's kid mm. now jake is incredible i really liked his acting he's a really nice little character i've put hello i'm white and insane because about helen because yeah. jake tells her this awful story about the uh, simple-minded neighbor oh lord yes it's horrible isn't it yeah it's really nasty really brutal really graphic and so, you know, some terrible things happened in this toilet. Um, sweets to the sweet written all over it. And then she's like, yeah, go for it. I'll take my camera in there. That's fine. There is no candy man. And of course, real actual gang members come into the toilet and start properly threatening it. I really thought we were going to witness a rape scene. And I'm thrilled we didn't. So this was, this scene was cut a little uh, okay. for release. I did look into this. Yeah. Because we, the version that we watched mm. was from the Arrow Blu-ray from a couple of years ago, which is based on a new restoration and scan and, and looks very good. So it's a good, good work. It's using the American R-rated cut. The British theatrical cut was slightly longer, but there was only a few scenes that were trimmed from that for this one. But there right. were, the, the, that scene of her attack in the toilets was longer and a bit more brutal but they cut it. It wasn't released like that. There were no release okay. prints that had more there. But I do believe they did film more that they decided was better just cut. Was it an implied sexual assault then? Not as far as I know. I think Good. they just really duffed her up. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think it's better to keep it ambiguous as in how brutal the, the beating was because it, the first hit is enough. Like, it's nasty. Like, it's really... You know, this is her believing mm. that she's met the Candyman, that the Candyman is in fact a gang of thugs and one of them has a hook. Yeah, um, well this is her she, thesis, this is yeah. what she's working on, right? And she's put all that together and is now being beaten by her own thesis. Yeah. <laughs> she seems kind of at peace with it, it's very odd, but I think it's again because it proved her point. Yeah. You know, she doesn't seem as traumatised as I would like her to have responded, but I yeah. think she might also be thrilled, like there is a thrill, she was bored. And I yeah. know that's dark. 
But yeah. there's this idea of like I'm having an adventure. But I also think there's an uh, uh, there is an element as well of that she hadn't quite thought that far ahead. Yeah. In what she was doing and tracking down this is the first time when she's tracking down the Candyman and, mm-hmm. and this story. This is the first time that she comes face to face to the danger that we all know that she's in. Well, everybody yeah. else apart from her realizes that she's in. Uh, the visual effects team, by the way, when they were making, when oh, they were yeah. doing that, uh, the the writing on the wall mm-hmm. is uh, chocolate biscuits. Aww. They made that with chocolate biscuits, which is a, a nice detail. So she's just really allergic to gluten. Yeah. That's what all the <laughs> yakking was about. It does look disgusting. Yeah. It's a really good effect. So it's biscuits and wet, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And they said different different biscuits for, yeah, but, but mainly I think there was some ginger biscuits and, and a fair amount of chocolate. It was mostly biscuit. Listener, I'm doing a face. <laughs> he definitely... Oh, yeah, I've put that Trevor definitely had sex with that student. <laughs> but we aren't explicitly told that yet. And there's a nice no. aerial view of the college again. I was trying to make sense of that symbol. Because, oh, the sort of the quadrangle bit yeah, in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's honeycombing. It's visually interesting as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. but I couldn't... I felt like it needed... I, I really feel like this director, Rose, really liked Kubrick. I kept seeing little nods, little references, little funny touches where I was like, that could be a Kubrick look. And actually like a kind of feel to it, especially with the women in it. It felt very like they'd had a hard time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Um, I wonder if one of the reasons why we we think about sexual assault with that toilet assault as well is because of the story that uh, Jake... Tells us about the boy who is emasculated in the toilets. Right? Do you think? Um, I don't know. It's just it's just plausible that it's planting that there. I would say it's um, accidental racism. Accidental racism. Mm. As in, there is an assumption made that even if it's not about race, mm-hmm. even if it's just about understanding how tropes work, that. It's yeah, and actually, she's in a male-coded space. Yes, exactly. And it's it weirdly, and again, given that we watch a lot of Best of the Worst, yes. it is strange to see a woman in 1992 go into a bathroom, be attacked by men and not be raped in the scene. Sure. I feel like it's a real nasty trope that crept in there for a while where if you were blonde and alone, you were a target. Yeah. But I also wonder if that is a comment because we made an assumption automatically mm-hmm. and then to be like, there's just bruising and she seems fine. It's like, hmm. That's uncomfortable. It all yeah. feels very uncomfortable. Yeah, but they just want... It's a warning, isn't it? They just want yes. it to go away. Um, yes. She identifies the ringleader and is praised for it, and it puts the viewer into a false sense of security, I would say. Yeah. They also return the photos that she took of the graffiti to her. Mm-hmm. The police do. And uh, thank her, the chief, if you like, thanks her so much for her help. Oh, she's you the know, hero of the hour because no one else will testify against this guy because... He rules the roost. Yeah, he's a dangerous man. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots of top quality knitwear, but we don't need to go into that. <laughs> Bernadette um, drives away mm-hmm. and waves to Helen and Helen's looking super cool, trying to look through shades. Yes, her. they're in the car park, aren't they? They are yes. in the car park. She's looking through shades at her new photo negatives. Like I well, thought. yeah, uh, she's got uh, slides. They're, they're slides, so she's got yeah. them mounted and she's sort of squinting at them... Squinting at them in, in low light through sunglasses, yes. But it's 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 understandable. She's very excited. She thought that she wouldn't get them, and yeah, she thought the camera was smashed. And yeah, yeah. And we feel like okay, so she's going to testify against the candy, you know, quote unquote, the candy man. Yeah. 
and she's got yeah and so it's it's all wrapped up with a bow on it and we're sorted right yeah but but then uh then this beautiful presence turns up tony todd looking absolutely unbelievably cool yeah tony is in the rock and is in the crow and is an excellent actor um as he said himself 200 credits to his name and everyone knows him as Candyman, which isn't a bad thing, and he's pretty all right with it. But it's still, uh, he, he said, there's still a queue at the um, at the conventions, and I think that's really sweet. Yeah, I always love it when people bother with their conventions. Well, I mean, it's a it's a wonderful performance yeah. uh, from him. You know, we see him. What I really like about this, well, uh, many things. One of the things I really like about his appearance is, first of all, is. I mean that voice is incredible. Yeah. But we see him. It's a long shot. He's at the end of the other end of the car park in silhouette, and the sun behind him. Yeah. So we can't really, you know, at least at first. I know he moves closer and we get closer shots of him, but we can't really see his face. But there's something about his, just his stance mm. and the way he holds himself in that voice, where you just know that that's the real Candyman, quote unquote. Right. Yes. Given that we've met the fellow with the hook in the toilets. Yes. Who is pretending to be. The Candyman for mm-hmm. beating up Snoopy white women purposes. Then when we meet the the real one, it's just very clear instantly that that's who he is. We don't need to. He doesn't need to say that's who he is. No. And you know, considering yeah, I mean, I'll talk more about Todd's performance as we see more of him. But like, considering this is a character that bursts out through a mirror and disembowels people with his hook hand. Yeah. It's an extraordinarily well realized and rounded character. Yeah, I'd agree with that, absolutely. And then this is where the film just immediately changes. Helen is a little bit smitten in a weird way. She's sort of entranced by him and frightened of him and tries to get... She's just trying to get away from him in some way, but there's this power drawing her. And then she loses consciousness and wakes up in the worst way possible. Mm. Worse, in fact, than being jumped by Trevor, weirdly she wakes up to the sound of the screaming mother that she'd met in the projects. It's so brutal, it's so shocking, it kind of shocks you as the viewer. There's a beheaded dog, Helen's covered in blood, there's... Uh, we, we are led to believe that there's, like... Well, that, that well, there's a lot of blood in the cot. Yeah, but there's nothing else in the cot. Nothing in the crib, no. It's 3am... <laughs> And it's, yeah, Helen comes oh. to in the in the bathroom covered in blood, but then when she... As if she's been attacked. Yeah, with the with hook. With the hook. But then when she checks, there's no there. You know, she's she's intact. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's horrifying. It's proper like Ghost of Christmas Past style because... Right. I really saw it as... You've not seen Memento, have you? No. There's something about this. And I mean, for me, it always... One of my big things is is the fear of memory loss. So the idea of waking up after some sort of episode mm-hmm. and being somewhere completely like and having no memory. You don't know of where you are. There. You're covered in blood. There's a woman screaming in the next room. And she's screaming in the way that people do when they lose a child. So yeah. it is that nasty primal freak out. Uh, Miss McCoy, Anne Marie McCoy, who we we've met earlier when our two investigators first go to Cabrini yes. Green and she invites them in and shows off little Anthony her son. Oh Anthony, yeah. And so he is, is Tony then. Tony yeah. God, weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it, it this is part of the great work that she does to sort of humanise 
the projects and the people yeah. there because we meet the gang members outside and then she says she explicitly says like we aren't all like this just trying to raise my I kid know. but she's terrified of the candy man yeah and she's terrified of particularly the candy man getting hold of her Anthony, baby her son her baby mm-hmm. exactly and now it appears he's got the baby yeah yeah and uh and Anne marie is understandably not happy about this and there, there, there is a bit of a fracas Helen sort of seems to accidentally stab her a little bit just as the police come in. Yes, well, she's defending herself because McCoy is bashing Helen's head yes. against the floor in panic. Unfortunately, Which is when... understandable, of course. You know, your baby's gone and then this woman is covered in blood. Yeah. <laughs> it just appears there. And your dog is beheaded as well. Yes. You know, your one defence. Yeah. She's arrested at this point because yeah. she's, got a, she's got a knife. She's covered in blood, knife in her hand. Yeah, <laughs> just that. and uh, and the way the police treat her this time oh, is yeah. marked contrast. It's the same policeman as well. And of course, the, the first time that we meet, she meets them and they meet her. She was a hero because she's just agreed to testify against this gang lord, yep. basically. You know, whereas this time she's been arrested for murder. She says she blacked out and can't remember how she got there, and she was holding a knife yep. and blood everywhere. And she can't say where the child is or what, how she got there or what was going on. She doesn't have the strongest case. No. And there's a really horrible scene where she's, like, asking a policewoman if she can just have a... Sh- like, wash the blood off herself. Oh, yeah, but of course they need that for evidence. And being forced to strip and stuff. It's yeah. um, not cool. And it doesn't feel... it To me, it didn't feel particularly gratuitous, even of, of that time. You know, mm-hmm. the bath is more gratuitous than Yeah, that. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not explicit. We don't... No. But we don't see anything, and it is also she's crying and covered in blood and gr- grime and yeah. But again, we're in 1991. It's prime time to be covered in blood and crying. Yes, it still looks true. sexy, and yeah. she's she's a she looks great, but she's not too there to look great. She's there to no. make you uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's she's lost her composure. She's lost her authority. Yeah. She's lost her and and she wants a phone call at this point. Oh yeah, she calls uh, Trevor, and, she and Trevor's Trevor. away. Well, again, we just see the empty... We, we, we pan very slowly over the empty bed with the phone ringing and we have the, yeah. you know, their photographs of those two together on holiday, you know, on their sort of European trips together. And things. Yeah. He's not there. And we know where he is because this is all playing out in the in the background. We know where he is, although we never see yeah. this at this point. And then she says, what time is it? There's the same policewoman who uh, took all of her clothes off her... Uh, you know, just very, again, deadpan all the way through. So yeah. it's three, it's three, three a.m. Yeah, it's like he would definitely be home. <laughs> I will also say that the police frame it as Anne Marie, the mother, having been reaching to her or ask, begging, her, begging Helen for help, rather than bashing Helen's skull on the mm-hmm. ground. Yes, it's framed as she asked for help and you attacked her. Yeah, which is interesting as well. Yeah. but it is a nice, in a way tables turn moment for black people never being believed by the police she's got a taste of it yeah here, where yeah. she could say till she was blue in the face yeah that woman attacked me but you were the one caught with a knife yeah and covered in blood in yes. this woman's house yeah so no one's listening to you love and then i've asked how did they get her out of there but it's because they're not sure if the baby's missing or dead mm-hmm. so she's out and about trevor's come to get her at stupid o'clock the next day. And I assume it's to do with her money and privilege again, right? I assume she's on bail for a large amount of money that if she were black and a resident of the project, she would not have, so she would still be in prison. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and she's mooching about the house. She dares to look at those photos again. Leave them alone. <laughs> you know, the slides. Yeah. Leave them be. What are you doing? We see... Is this where she's looking at the slides and we see a reflection of the Candyman behind her in one of the pictures? Yes. Yes, which is lovely and echoes the very beginning of the film with the almost jump scare with the way it's cut when we yep. get the story about the girl who says the Candyman five times in the mirror and then he appears just in a flash reflection behind her. Yeah. And uh, my note for here is, is is just about Helen is that she shouldn't have said his name five times. No, that was, <laughs> that I guess was, her, that mistake. was her mistake. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she summoned him. And from from this point on he appears quite frequently yeah. to, to her and they have a bit of a dialogue and I think it's around about here, correct me if I'm wrong, that the Candyman explains more about being a myth. Yeah, your death will be a tale to frighten children. And that he survives on the faith of the people of Cabrini Green. Yes. Really. He calls them his followers, I think. Mm. Or his Is it his followers? I I forget exactly the word he uses, but if 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 that's not the word it's certainly the meaning. Mm. And we see this a little bit when we see his lair, actually, where she climbs through his mouth. And the way that that set is lit mm. um, is is cathedral-like. You know? Yes, yeah. And, looks, yeah. and while she's in there, she finds a pile of sweets. Yeah, with, with razors in them. Razors in them, which is another urban, urban myth, yeah. legend, right? Yeah. Which is, is nice. Um, but I think it's here that he offers Helen a bargain. I've written, he offers Helen a bargain, which is her life for the life of the child. But she must agree to become his victim. Yes, and I've said Helen is driven to live by her maternal urges for someone else's kid. And that that's such a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) It's a comment on circumstantial evidence again, though, as a condemnation. um, Because we're about to come into her having murdered Bernadette. Yeah. um, Or it looks like she has. It is, in fact, that... Candyman has burst through a mirror again, yeah. fan it about, and then come after Bernadette because Bernadette comes around to visit Helen, and Helen's like, "Please leave," uh, in a whisper. Yeah, bless her. So Candyman, well, I say Candyman murders Bernadette. One of the interesting things is that we very rarely see him kill, and this mm-hmm. is one of those moments where we don't. And I wondered if it's partly to preserve the idea that perhaps Helen is disturbed yeah and it, and She's it, done all of and it is in fact helen that has murdered uh, her best friend and queer coded colleague and partner in crime it's off screen but we do see the aftermath which is very brutal yes. and unpleasant and of course when her husband comes back it things don't look good for helen no so helen is then committed for her own safety and the safety of others. She is. Um, there's a scene as well where Candyman is precariously dangled above her while she's strapped to her bed and screaming. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to fast forward a little bit to meeting Dr. Burke, who I find really distressing. It's her, basically the person who's like the doctor in her defence. He's supposed to be, I imagine, just proving that she's mad or that she, so she can plead insanity. Well, yes, because this is the question is whether she's fit to stand trial for yes. these for the murder of Bernadette and also yeah. for the disappearance of Anthony or murder or whatever has happened to the baby. Yes, and I said, well, I feel like that's some of the least sensitive therapy I've ever seen <laughs> just to show your client or your patient a video of themselves being crackers 
Well, he asks her first, right? He yeah. says, did you... Did the killer appear to you when you on the night you were committed? Yes. And she says no, I think. And then he shows the video on four screens to make it more weird and creepy. Yeah. But it's interesting because because we've seen that scene play out earlier when we can see the Candyman. We see yeah. it from her point of view. So this is, I suppose, the the first confirmation, if you'd like, that he's invisible to everybody else. Yes. And he's so articulate in in that scene and in all of his scenes you know it, it gives him a, uh, the Candyman I mean it gives him a sort of tragic air this is what I mean when I said earlier about it being an extremely good performance from Tony Todd to sort of humanise this killer yeah. and to make him a make him a tragic figure in some ways yeah. that he he kills but he kills because he has to kill in some way that there's innocent blood to be spilled and he must spill it rather than because he has a great desire to kill folk for fun yeah it's just that it, it it's it's his nature it's what he is what he is is a sort of folk demon yeah that is required for yeah dead right and i've wondered and my note here is when she's sitting there showing the footage of her strapped to the table talking to the empty air yeah i wonder and this is when she also finds out that she's been in for a month and it's been heavily sedated yeah. and she just can't believe it and I wonder, does she start to doubt her version of events at this point? She's a rational, intelligent woman who doesn't believe in the supernatural. And she's seen the footage, she's seen she's seen proof, if you'd like, you know, that, that what she remembers didn't happen, or at least was not observable to anybody else, which to her mindset is the same as didn't happen. Yeah. And you got to wonder if she starts to think... Have I lost my mind? Am, am, I, am I extremely ill? And the score all through the film is by Philip Glass. The, yeah, there you go. I've put the score is heavenly. And it's wonderful here. It's doing great, doing great things. Philip Glass, reportedly, he softened on this film in later years, but at the time was a little bit revolted that it was his beautiful music was used for a kind of schlocky horror thing. Yes, you told me that, and I think it's so unjust, uh, <laughs> because it isn't a schlocky horror thing. No, but I think if you were Philip Glass writing that kind of music, you would think that. Yeah, I suppose, and he, you know, he was a, he was and remains a very serious composer who doesn't do, didn't do film scores, but they managed to get him for this. Yeah, as they, Virginia Madsen mentioned in an interview, that the director could talk the hind legs off a donkey, basically, and managed to persuade Philip Glass to do the one thing he said he wouldn't do. Yes. Um, which is nice. Although he's since done The Hours, right? Yeah, he's done a couple mm. more since then, I think. But um, Very serious films. Yeah, very serious films. And also, I, once you've done one, I suppose, it's maybe easier <laughs> to do another. But, yeah, it does take a special kind of determination, even though... Philip Glass has said he'll never will yeah. and, and never has, but you still say, well, I'm still going to make him do it anyway. Yeah. And this next scene here... Mm, it's amazing. When the Candyman reappears... During therapy. ...is one that was uh, trimmed for this print, so the British cinema release print, yeah. which you may be watching, you the listener at home, mm. Is slightly longer here and slightly gorier. I think oh. they have a couple more shots of the hook coming out and of blood spurting onto <laughs> her face from uh. the from the psychiatrist being disemboweled in in front of her. They they trimmed it for the American release to give it an R rating. Hmm. Uh, that's the the major difference, as far as I understand. Right. But it's still 
really rather graphic and unpleasant in the R print. Yeah. And it's notable because we haven't seen his earlier kills, the Candyman. We've seen the aftermath mm-hmm. and we've heard the stories about them. But even even the very beginning, even the very first kill, if you'd like, which is the urban legend oh, yeah. reportage thing, we don't we don't see it in the way we see this. You're right. So we don't see him do uh, Bernadette at all. And in Jake's story about the the boy being uh, ripped open in the yeah, toilets, we just we, see the boy. We see the boy and we see the toilets afterwards, and it's horrible. But we don't see this kind of hook action that we get here <laughs> then he springs backwards out of the window he does it's yeah. quite strange yeah. i quite liked it yeah it's good uh, it's good work yeah i really love the whole of the next sort of few minutes of the film i actually think they're the best ones but i would say that because they're horrendous they're more horrific than some of the other stuff that happens to me so helen does an amazing escape where she manages to get a nurse to let her into a room and then knock the nurse unconscious and then steal her clothes. Yep. Uniform, you're anonymous, you know. Yeah, totally. She then, for some weird random reason, runs to find Trevor. Now, I can't imagine oh, what no. about him. What? I can see you've skipped over, I think, my favourite shot of Go the ahead. whole film, which is when she's in the corridor fumbling with the keys trying yes. to get into her room. And she's in focus. And in long shot, in the rear of the corridor are... Doctors and security people looking for her because they know that they yeah. must have found the disemboweled body by this point. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I missed my note. Better. And as it happens, they go right by her because they're not looking for a, an anonymous nurse. Yep. But it's so beautifully done because all of the focus is on her struggling with the keys because she's got keys, but she doesn't know which is the right one for the door because yep. it's not really her uniform. She's not really a nurse. And <laughs> it's so tense because you see them getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And your sympathies are with. Helen here. She's been dropped in at the very, very deep end. Indeed. But she's not a murderer. No. She finally turns back up at home Mm -hmm. to find that student with a nice bum painting Helen's entire house a disgusting pink and decorating with Trevor. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, the real horror is your husband cheating on you. It's just And, well, your husband cheating on you or being the other woman. Now, I actually wrote in my notes somewhere that he is a prime candidate for the absolute crap male that says things like, oh, my ex was crazy. (laughs) Watch out for that, listener. If you ever hear that, male or female, it doesn't matter. Oh, I've got this crazy ex. No, they're the problem. (laughs) <laughs> immediately they're the problem if it's you saying it you're the problem and of course the poor teenager just immediately cries as soon as <laughs> as soon as uh, she realizes it's helen she just bursts into tears i really love the line what's the matter trevor scared of something because obviously by this point helen looks like a mad woman like she's yeah and- angry and she's been cheated on essentially and replaced by a younger model her house is disgusting and for like, all that these people know, she's murdered at least two people. <laughs> like, I suspect that to Trevor, the obvious interpretation of events, if you'd like, is that Helen murdered Bernadette, given that he only didn't go out very long. And then when he came back, Bernadette is dead, yeah. multiply disemboweled. There was nobody else there. There's no sign of forced entry. I uh, still don't <laughs> think that would make me immediately run to the arms of, just randomly run to the arms of a student. 
Oh, Lord, no. But as we've discussed, he's been running to those arms yeah. with some regularity. But certainly they have no reason to doubt that she's a murderer and now she's escaped from whatever institution she was being held in. I've also written, you never had Trevor. Because she says, Trevor, you were all I had. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, you didn't really have each other anyway. So you're not missing much. And it's Candyman gradually ripping away all the layers so that she's left at her most vulnerable and her most base. Yes. I really love that they lit, the director lit the tower block and it was lit and framed like a haunted house. It was beautiful, mm. like an old school haunted house. Really nice. In the next scene, it's uh, also very, like, we we suddenly get into this time capsule. Once we see the kind of tower block shown as a haunted house, we then have sort of late 60s, early 70s framing of everything. It's all candle lit yeah. and satanic panic style stuff. There's paintings of Candyman's struggles, you know? of his horrible story and I put that it's really weird that he didn't become photorealistic having been dead for so long you know he <laughs> is mooching about being a dead guy mm-hmm. painting everywhere you'd think like his style would really improve but it <laughs> still looks like a kind of educational kids book well, from 1999 yeah yeah but it's also <laughs> iconography right it's yeah. it's church paintings oh I suppose because yeah. Uh, yeah yeah because he is a risen again figure yeah Yes, and the the lighting on their faces is proper sort Ugh, of film noir. Starlet. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That sort of almost if fatale idea, and it really is a seduction between the two of them, which is yes. which it's difficult to talk about without it sounding sort of wrong, sounding out of kilter. Right. But but somehow. It, in the film it just really works I think they have really beautiful chemistry and I think Bernard Rose getting them to go and take ballroom dancing lessons together and do fencing together you know they really had a relationship of sorts and it's very clear that even though you know there's just a body language thing where they are drawn together I will say as well like the film noir lighting really works on Virginia Madsen because uh, as we found out she is actually in a trance in those scenes. She's been hypnotised by the director. Uh, He took her for hypnosis and she was saying to the hypnotist you know I don't think I'm going to be a good candidate for this and was chatting away and then realised that her arm was up in the air (laughs) which is just really funny imagine that but she said there's this really beautiful quality to her face when she's in trance like that and it's it's true it's she's right really, she looks different yeah, yeah her whole face is different she looks dreamlike it's very yeah interesting and this is again well i say more work by good work by tony todd but more good work by both of them I don't, yeah. there isn't a weak link in this cast but you end up given they say that the Candyman is a killer. He kills and kills and kills yeah. brutally and without remorse. But I, I do get there's just this real sense that, that like he says in his opening uh, monologue, really at the very beginning of the film, over the shot of the bees, where yeah. he talks about like the innocent blood that just must be shed. <laughs> that like this is in some way his function, and that he was made by systemic racism. Yes. Okay. Because. I was. I've been doing a little bit of thinking about like how do you make a killer with a hook for a hand <laughs> into a, a sympathetic figure? Like he's not the hero, but you don't 
despise him or I didn't despise him. Well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't cast Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yes. Or, or rather, no, you don't. Um, yeah, we nearly ended up doing The Haunted Mansion this week instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tony told it. I think he said that, that Bernard Rose had to fight to cast him for yes. it because the studio wanted Eddie Murphy. Yeah, or <laughs> somebody of, of that a comic of that yes. ilk. And yeah, he just. I mean, I just can't imagine anybody else in the role now having no. seen that. But the other thing he said that was interesting uh, to me, as well, was that he said that they had some trouble from the NAACP. The um, oh yes. Uh, American black civil rights pressure group because you had a interracial kiss it, well you had interracial kiss and well yes thank you I was going to say you also had like a black guy as the as the killer oh, which they didn't like they did say that yes but, right. you, but absolutely please expand upon that if you can that was it. It's an interracial kiss, and it's wasn't known. It wasn't. It yeah. wasn't liked. It was frowned upon. But also to cast a black man as an antagonist was a bold move, given that that whole organisation were trying to improve the reputation of black yeah. people in cinema, and then you cast them as the lead, and he's a weird bee-filled <laughs> killer. killer. Yeah, but. Again, I think it was because it was, t- weirdly, it was tastefully done and because their connection looks real and looks tangible and looks, it, it despite the whole situation, it's very well done. Mm. Despite all of it obviously being in this weird nightmarescape place, it really feels like it's handled. And also, I would say that his backstory, and I think that's why it was Todd mm-hmm. that introduced the backstory of the educated slave that was fell in love with the wrong girl yeah because that created the sympathy that that board needed to be like oh he's not a bad guy yeah this is a haunting caused by bad things yeah racism yeah. and systemic abuse yeah and and of course all of this stuff is original for the film because yes. it's, it's one of the things with the transposition of the story yeah. to america you need a new backstory but it works so well that it never feels sort of jarring it just works so nicely. Yeah. Guess what, though, Ben? He's made of bees. He's made of bees. Awkward. Awkward. Uh. <laughs> There's a bee kiss that is so nightmarish. Virginia Manson was deeply frightened of bees. One of the people that was going to be Helen was Sandra Bullock, for example, which is an, an unknown Sandra Bullock at that point. She was just a no-name, which is such an odd thought. But it made me laugh because I wondered how she would have responded to bees. I don't know. It, there's... I feel like there is a space in an alternate universe where Eddie Murphy and Sandra Bullock <laughs> were in this film and it was a weird oh, cult dear. comedy horror yeah. that never made it out of the, you know, and then Sandra Bullock never became famous, you know, like yeah. just some weird thing or she had a horrible time with bees. But to prove that Virginia Madsen was actually allergic to bees, she did several allergy tests and all sorts to prove to Bernard Rose. Because, yeah, he didn't believe it. He no. just thought she was... Causing a fuss. Didn't, didn't want to do the scene with all the live bees for some reason. Yeah. It did It did make me, make me think, like, why was she... I mean, it's a great part and she does really, really well. Yeah. But if I was offered a part and they said, like, oh, by the way, there's this, like, love scene with hundreds of these things that you're allergic to the thing She said of. why she did it. She did it 
for two reasons. One, she was a much younger actor, and two, he could talk the legs off anything. Yeah, fair so enough. So obviously he's been like, it'll be fine, it'll, it'll be, be fine. fine. So they used bees that were, mostly they used bees that were bred specifically for the movie. They were, most of them looked like adults, but were only about 12 hours old, so they couldn't really sting, or their stinger certainly couldn't do much harm. Mm-hmm. And she, Helen's bees that touched Helen were much younger, so there was really no danger of them doing much damage there was an ambulance but i think a paramedic on site just in case all sorts whereas tony todd put a clause in his contract that said that he would get paid an extra thousand dollars for every sting (laughs) and he got stung 26 times over the four films over the three films three i think three Um, possibly four yeah 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 but a hell of a lot of them were in this scene i believe when he has them crawling in and out of his mouth yes it's it's the lungs as well, isn't it? It's the chest. He opens his chest mm. and then he kisses her. So there's this kind of inflatable lung, you know. It's a good. Him. It's a nice rig. It's a nice bit of work of, of special effects work. But they kept but, getting trapped. Yeah. Well, I was watching it and thinking, wow, this looks great. You know, how have they done this? And yeah. the answer is that they just filled him full of bees. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they're real bees, and they're really. Yeah. Obviously, he's got like the chest cavity rig over his actual chest yeah but then he's just holding a coat over lots of bees and they hate being covered so that's that will be most of the stinging the bee wrangler apparently great job um (laughs) told tony todd to name them to make him less frightening so being like oh there's Derek, there's brady you know but i don't know how that would help (laughs) It helped him, but I, I can't see it myself. Do you have any thoughts or anything on why he's full of bees? Because he was covered in bees. Because he was covered in bees. By the boys at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, I suppose. It just made me think of the story of Samson the honey. and the honey and the lion and the de- like the the Lyle's golden syrup yeah, yeah. tin and out of, the, out of the strong came forth sweetness. Do you want to explain it? Yeah. Well, that's it, that the the Lyle's golden syrup tin mm-hmm. has a deadline covered in flies on the yes. logo, which, and it says, out of the strong came forth sweetness, which is a, a Bible verse, and I forget which one exactly, but is, is biblical, and it's about... Do you know more of that? No. It was believed that bees were born from the carcasses oh, yes. of things, and that you could open up the carcass and retrieve honey. And bees would fly out. But it turned out that it was just that one family of bees had created a hive within the carcass of a dead lion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it confused everyone. They're like, oh, honey comes from lions. But no. I suppose it's... I don't know the idea of like something sweet coming out of something decaying. I'm not sure. What's the tagline of... Out of the strong came forth sweetness. Yeah, out of the strong came forth sweetness. So that's Samson... Who is the strongest man? Yes. Did many goods yes. for God, right? Gotcha. Uh, I assume. But I only know of that because the strength card and things. It's ah. a tarot reference. Oh, right. That's um, interesting. Yeah. No, it's just, it's. I mention it because it's, it's an odd, it, it's very striking visually. Yes. But it's an odd thing to have him as well as he's got his, like, hand hook. He's also covered full of bees. It's just a weird. If you were designing that character, you think I this suppose, is a bit but, odd. Th- but they did say they covered him in bees. Covered him in bees, yeah. So he just perpetually has a hook covered in bees, creates the fire. Yeah. You know. 
why they covered him in bees might be a more interesting thing. But I suppose they the bees stung him to death. Yeah. <laughs> this I don't know why it stuck with me, but apparently bees being covered in bees, bees are furry and they feel like having little Q-tips on you, little earbuds. That's oh, disgusting, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I don't mind that. Does it freak you out? God, there's just something about the the, the volume, the number. Like yeah, exactly. Mm. A, a B, I'm fine. Oh, they're cute. I like But, like, bee. that many bees... Yeah. ...is... is that many anything. ...skin crawling, isn't that it? That many children, you know? Yeah. It's too many of anything. Anyway. But, yes, at this point... Bee well, kiss. He, the bee kiss, and he repeats his offer. Yes. That if she becomes his victim... Mm, become my victim. It's my... It's, it's, I don't think I'd describe it as romantic. Okay. But it is intense and emotional and yes. gothic and yeah. and she she acquiesces, she submits. Yes. At this point. With these wonderful looks in each other's faces, these sort of yeah. long Uh yeah, and I suppose it was the ballroom dancing you talked about, right? This the yeah, connection and ma- magnetism between them. Yeah, they're properly doing like a dance macabre style mm. niceness thing here. So he's orchestrating miracles and legends so he can live on, which is kind of amazing. It's interesting, I think, that he is sort of aware of his status. Mm-hmm. And he talks about being myth and about how he, he's dead, but he's myth, so he's not really dead, he's not really alive, he's something else. Yes, and for a moment she was a threat to his existence because she encouraged his followers to not believe in him. Yeah, and that's why, and he says, I think he says, that's why I had to come to you. You were not satisfied with the stories, you had to have the real thing. Yeah. And and that's what he is. And then we get, it was always you, Helen. Mm. And more of the iconography i suppose more of the church like paintings with these sort of madonna like yeah pictures of of helen and presumably of course the the girl yeah that the real quote unquote real life candy man was was in love with yeah know, sort of it's the it's the old reincarnation of the lost love yes idea from dracula. from the mummy as well actually yeah. I guess. and dracula we see in fright night yeah tale as old as time and what is nice is that as well is that we've Helen has already begun her transformation into sort of folk demon herself. Yeah. I think you touched on this when she appears having broken out of the hospital when she appears in her old flat which is going pink and she really does appear like a some yeah. sort of vengeful demon thing. Absolutely, yes. She looks like a angry ghost. Yes. And I think that comes up again next in the next bit when she hears the baby crying. Yeah, and crawls about on a big pyre. With uh, holding the hook. They've mentioned previously in the film that there's a bonfire coming, like there is one being lit for all the houses, you know, like a community, like a party thing. Mm -hmm. And it's Jake that lights it, of course, that really cool kid from the beginning. And I've put, oh, wow, what an ending, right? So it's another legend scrawled on the walls and it's it's written everywhere, you know, like it's all coming together. Mm -hmm. She really is becoming that thing. The mother... You know, McCoy is kind of fronting the crowd and watching it burn when it does go up. So she's watching her own baby burn. It's all very, very, very dark. 
and then they set fire to a bit of Helen, a bit of Virginia Madsen, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and she's describing it as it was really cool. <laughs> you yeah. Know. Yeah. And it looks quite warm. Yeah. Um, but yes, because um, she, when she finds the baby in the middle of the, the fire, the Candyman is there as well. Yeah. And it looks as if he's double-crossed her, right? Cause... Yeah. Because he said, oh, yeah, you can go. And then she heard the call mm-hmm. and had to save that weird baby she'd met once. Yes, and there's something about because it it, it is a, it is sacrifice. She's sacrificing herself. Yep. Is Helen, but she's there's something very redemptive about that crawl. Yeah. There's something because she she attacks the Candyman, I think, with a, a, a burning thing and tries to crawl to, to safety with the baby. with the baby. Yeah. Which just makes it just so much more hopeful somehow for me. It just switches right. it round again. Because she's rejecting the his his narrative, right? Okay, you know of of you know we shall die here together and and be born again and and live forever in our, with our people. Yes, you know, and and she turns away from that and just tries to save an innocent. You know, just tries to get the baby out of there. Yeah, fair enough. And I wonder if it's partly it's perhaps a bit of a stretch, but it's I wonder if it's the idea of like breaking some of the cycles that have kept. Right. Kept the Candyman alive, but also kept the the structures of racism uh, in place, right, over the century since uh, since an artist had his hand cut off and then was set upon and and, and murdered. Yeah. In the, the idea that like well we can do something for the next generation in some way, you know it's it's perhaps a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But there's something about it was when when he says it was always you Helen mm. and putting her in the putting her literally in the picture when she appears in the murals yep. and takes her place at his side there's almost an echo in there of like it was all in she is in her position as a white woman with lots of money yeah that she, that it is right that now she takes her place symbolically as yes. another part of this story yeah of that that there are two sides to this and that this was always there yeah and this was always part of it and as i say it's a st- i recognize it's a stretch but i think it is something that's in there i think it's something that has the potential to be an idea that's there which is one of the things that sort of just brings this above hack and slash yeah you know, there are some, because we're nearly at the end and we've got a, a little bit to go. But when we get to the end, I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about some of those, drawing out some of those themes, because it's here particularly that it that, that these things have struck me. Yes, I will say that the one thing that, to my mind, lets the side down a little bit is the dodgy prosthetic work on a very burnt Helen. But actually, it turns out that they were quite gruesome. They're just poorly lit, I would say, in the scene. But Virginia Marsden was talking about how people wouldn't sit with her. She was in her <laughs> caravan and they wouldn't sit with her because her makeup was too gross and it was pizza day, which really, I don't know, it's really tickled me. Pepperoni. The kid, Jake, spots the Candyman burning, potentially. It's quite ambiguous, but it really does look like his burning corpse. Oh, yes, in the fire. In the fire, yeah. And then we cut to 
student life with uh, <laughs> Trevor and that girl. The girl really looks like Helen Young. We've seen pictures of Helen Young, and actually, yeah, she really does look like her. It's quite good casting. And the thing is, you know, Helen's not old. <laughs> no, as I say, Helen's probably about five or six years older than this girl. Mm-hmm. But Trevor is a poo bag. The people from the so they're having Helen's funeral, and Helen's got this ridiculous romance coffin. Yeah, it's looking like Snow White. And they've really tidied her up, considering how she was looking. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's a great job. They bury her. Yes. And then all the people from the projects turn up and put a hook in the grave. Very, very much the end of a story around the campfire. Um, Yeah. You know, because they're building the legend with Cantyban. Yeah, they know what's up, right? Yeah. Because it's a very sparsely attended funeral, as befits a murderer, I guess, until they show up. But they know... (laughs) They know the story because it's the story of where they're from, right? Yeah. Without wishing to, without wishing to other too much. Yeah, no, I I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And then I've just written, I hate Trevor. God, I hate Trevor. <laughs> Pink hall, blue bathroom, hiding from your mistakes in the bathroom again. Are you Trevor? This is a really nice scene and something that you called as well. I did. As soon as it started, you you saw this coming. I did. It's Trevor saying Helen's name. <laughs> in a what's that word what kind of way he's sort of a despairing I suppose mm, I don't know about that it's, it's a well, there must be a word for the like Ben 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 yeah you know like a it's almost yeah almost exasperated but not quite yeah. that either but but still yeah. um, she arrives she's a gorgeous ghost Helen is like beautiful demon thing doing the callback saying you know something you scared of something Trevor yeah and then hooking him and leaving it for that student girlfriend to find and I did say you know when we first met him I said prime candidate for a disemboweling this man and he got his come up and (laughs) and you were you were saying that there was an element of here that she's replaced the candy man as a as a an avenging force, I guess, or something, or well, she's or something. You know, he said they will write about us on toilet walls. You know, yeah. they will write about us on the walls, and it's an us. So he just has a bit more of an army now, if you like. Yeah, he has another person that's like the scorned wife. Yeah, you know, and can appear in a different way to perhaps how the candy band words. Also, I mean, if you just have to say Helen five times in a mirror. It's probably more likely to happen a lot, even just <laughs> yes. by accident. Yeah. But it could just be that it was just for him. Yeah, I mean, there is a real sense in which it was personal. Yeah. In in this case, you know. Yeah. And uh, and he deserved it. But yeah, it's a fantastic way to end it as well. Oh yeah, uh, with the girl it, just screaming. Yeah, because we've had everything feels everything else has been tied off quite nicely. You know, it feels a. A satisfying ending for Cabrini Green, anyway, because yep. you end with the redemptive rescue of the child, right? Yes. Uh, who knows what's coming for them? You know, I mean, the, Lord, there are still problems, but yep. at least because we've seen Anthony's home life, right? We've seen that his mother takes care of him as best yep. she can, and, she, and that she cares about him, right? Because we've also seen Jake. You know, we've seen him waking up in his squat or wherever it is. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have any kind of anybody looking after him, Aww. but. Anthony's from a loving home, you know, and yeah. he's restored to that is a hopeful, with with caveats, is a hopeful ending Fair in enough. that story. Yeah. 
but what we don't get well what this epilogue gives us is closure on Trevor's terrible cheating ways it's a really weird version of Labyrinth isn't it you remind me of a babe steals a baby I brought you a gift wow yeah (laughs) Candyman is Goblin King yeah yeah he is a goblin king yeah yeah and his goblins will beat you to bits in a poo covered bathroom Mm. in the projects but you know it's nearly a colourful Jim Henson labyrinth adventure (laughs) yeah (laughs) is that us? I think so to, to, I mean, that's the end of the film. I just wanted to talk just briefly, as we as we've reached the end here, about the the resonance of this, of this film, given that it's from just coming up on thirty years ago. Wow. It's twenty nine years ago now. Yeah, and that it just feels more modern than that it in does. a lot of ways. When we think about how how much race relations have changed in those years and how much representation on screen of yeah. of black lives yeah has, how how unusual this was at the time and i feel even though we're two white british people sitting here talking about it yeah you know with these caveats we should have maybe put more of them in <laughs> well it, no i know it yeah, is what it is we are who we are like how well i feel like it's aged Yes. And how sort of pertinent, how sadly pertinent it still is and how much it still has to say about racism, structural racism, inequality, and just, just, just that really. Yeah. And there were lots of tasteless, schlocky things they could have stuck in there that would have degraded the entire message. But it's all kept very tasteful, weirdly, for yeah. such a good oh, yeah. film. I think as well how long after this, like ninety one this this film was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 91. 90, 92 release, ninety one filming, I think. Yeah. So yeah, so it's thirty years old, give or take. And when was Get Out? Because is that not the next time we have a um, leading black male in a horror? Yeah. I think it probably. might be proper. I mean, Obviously, the, but in terms of like a big, because this is a big, this is a tempo yeah. production. This was large. This was successful. Money. There's money, major studio, yeah, and in a way that just was and remains unusual. Well, even then, when was the last time, apart from this, that the black guy was the baddie or was allowed to be the baddie? Yeah, it's weirdly another kind of racist to yeah. be like, you can't play a baddie. You're black. <laughs> what will people think of us? Yeah. You know, and and there's uh, so many ways it could have gone wrong as yeah. well. You know, if he'd been a comedy act, yeah, played by a, a lesser actor. And I know Eddie Murphy can can act when he wants Not to. Not in 91. But I don't think he would have been right for this. But you can just see the, the pratfalls, you can see the problems, the potential problems, and and it avoids so many of them. Yeah. I just think that it's something that almost has... that still It still feels like it has a, a message, it still feels pertinent, it still yeah. feels like it has things to say that yeah. are relevant, and, and it's very well done. It's there's care, thought, and love, and work in it. Yes. And it's a film about a man with a hook for a hand who disembowels <laughs> people if they say his name in the, in the in front of the mirror. And this is sort of what I'm at the very beginning. We we're talking about you seeing it when you were twelve. Yeah. 
And about how it's not a film for 12-year-olds. No, nope, And it's not a film for 12-year-olds it. because it's obviously because it's extremely gory and disquieting. But also there's all of this stuff about the horror of yeah. poverty, the horror of racism and prejudice, the horror of being cheated on. Yeah. All of these real-life horrors piled on top of each other. And that the self-aware Candyman being a... knowing that he's a myth and that he's perpetuating and stuff. It, just makes him a a very interesting figure yes. and just not a cliche somehow despite almost having its cake and eating it because you still get the you still get like he's a proper good baddie as well yes yeah. anyway i feel like i've rabbited on a fair <laughs> amount there but I, I i just wanted to tie it together there yeah, with, sure. with that. and did you have anything else no actually no it would have been similar to you think that's probably us then right oh thank you so much for listening everybody if you would like to get in touch with us at all the email address if that's what you're into is hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com we have a twitter uh, which is hpp pod and an instagram which is haunted underscore picture underscore palace because brand consistency it's for losers dead to us as i say if you want to say anything, if you, there is a film you would like us to look at, next, then let us know. Next week we'll be looking at The Fly. Yep, the David Cronenberg film, 1981. With Dirty Jeff. I think, with a young Jeff Goldblum. Mm. Well, it should be good. Looking yeah. forward to. And is, I've discovered, is on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Which I like that. seems unlikely, but then yeah. they brought. I think it's it's under the stars banner of the extra right. that they brought in. So yes, which they keep separate from the the stuff aimed at children for obvious reasons. But Weird. is but is there if you have a subscription to one, you have a subscription Imagine to the other. Stumbling across that at Disney age, you know, <laughs> being like nine. Yeah. Going. It's not for nine-year-olds. What's is it? wrong with his ears? Yeah. Oh, I'm oh, excited. Dear. Right. See you next time. Thank you so much. And. Uh, please tell people about us it's always good to get more listeners and if you like it someone you know might like it indeed and yeah you never know don't have nightmares bye oh bye oh bye, bye everyone bye <laughs>